Matthew chapter 7. We'll read the same passages that we read uh, last week. So beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy, or do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls to pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, so last time, last week, um, we talked about this passage, and we covered the first five verses specifically um, about judging rightly. Jesus is not telling us not to judge ever in verses 1 through 5. What he's doing is he's warning us against judgmentalism and hypocrisy. He's not saying never judge. He's not telling us to keep our mouths shut and to just basically offer approval of every kind of lifestyle and every kind of doctrine. What he's not saying is anything goes. That's not coming out of Jesus' lips. If he were, as we talked about in verse 5, that that wouldn't even be there. Instead, in verse 5, he plainly tells us and he gives us the expectation that we ought to be able to help with the specks that are in our brother's eye. He says, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So clearly there's an expectation that we ought to be able to self-reflect and and deal with sin in our own lives so that then we can see clearly to help our brother. Now this, of course, comes after uh, we've examined ourselves. This comes after we have dealt with the sin in our own life. And uh, Jesus is, uh, you know, telling us to be careful how that we judge to make sure we're not engaging in the same kind of sinful behavior before we judge. In other parts of Scripture, you remember Jesus, he plainly tells us that we should judge rightly. I want you to judge in the right way, judge uh, in the, for the right reasons and, and on the basis of the right things. That's the broader context of our passage today. But I want to focus on verse 6 this morning. Let's read it again. Jesus says, Do not give dogs... What is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, arguably, some people read verse 6 and they come to the conclusion that it is not in any way connected to the previous verses. They say that Jesus sort of changes gears here, and what he's offering you is a bit of a disconnected, kind of a by the way statement. Now, I've said this before. Uh, in, in real estate, you have three cardinal rules. Location, location, location. Right? In the Bible, you have three cardinal rules. Context, context, context. It matters what is said, where it is in the overall narrative. It matters how it is used in the overall narrative. People, the thing is, people don't just tend to think 
in disconnected thoughts, completely disconnected thoughts. People have connections to the thoughts that they have and the things that they express. They're not completely disconnected. Now, you may know people that are scatterbrained, and it may seem like they're bouncing from one thing to another, but I promise you, in their minds, it's connected. This thing they said here or thought about reminded them of this thing over here, and there's a connection. And it may not seem apparent to you, but I promise you, in their mind, there is a, a connection. And to that end, the girls um, and I, we like to make fun of my wife. <sighs> we love her. Um, but uh, she'll be talking about one thing, and then she'll say something that sounds like it came out of a complete left field, but it all makes sense to her. Um, just by way of example, there was one time when we were, I forget where we were, but she started telling us this story about something that happened at work, and she started saying the story, started the story by saying, so I made this cahoot. Now, this is how she began this story. For those of you who don't work and live in the educational technology space, a, a Kahoot is a web-based um, game, educational game system. It's a website that teachers can go to and create, like, flashcards and educational games to, to kind of drill their students. It's a fun way of engaging students. You know, we all use flashcards back in the day. They use these websites, and Kahoot is one of those websites. So in case he begins her story, she says, so I made this Kahoot. That's how she started the story. I work in educational technology, so I know what a Kahoot is. My children were in school at the time, so they've seen the Kahoot. They know what a Kahoot is. Casey's a teacher, so I know she knows what a Kahoot Well, I think, we all think we're talking the same language about the same thing. I made this Kahoot. And then she proceeds to tell this story about something that happened in the hallway, and it never once referred back to the Kahoot. Never once did she mention the Kahoot again. So she finishes her story, and she never says anything about the Kahoot, and she's like, yeah, and that's what happened, and, and we're all just sitting there waiting for the, the punchline. You know what? Did, was there a funny answer that came up? Did you misspell a word? Did it stop working and you had to improvise? What? And so we're like, okay, so and? What happened with the Kahoot? Oh, nothing. That's just... I mean, we still tease her about that to this day. Um, when she gets off subject or whatever, we'll, we'll bring it up and say, oh, so I made this Kahoot. And that's code for mom's not making sense anymore. I don't even remember what the story was. All I remember was he said, so I, I made this Kahoot, and it never included a Kahoot in the story. And we were all left perplexed about it. But I promise you, when she began to, it made sense to her. There was, there was a, a logical progression in her mind from, from one uh, topic to another, even if she didn't feel the need to clue us in on that logical <laughs> progression. It was there. My point is that, that people don't tend, even if it looks like it, they don't tend to think in disconnected thoughts. There is a connection, even if it doesn't seem apparent to those of us who are listening at the time. And if that is the case about how we think, it is doubly the case about how we write. Writing is deliberate. It doesn't just happen, right? When someone writes something, they write deliberate. They do not write 
in just disconnected ways. And so Matthew is writing a narrative here. He's giving us an account, and his purpose is to tell us the life of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and that he is the Messiah. So he's not putting things in here that are just, oh, well, that's a random thought. He's not doing that. He's not doing that. It is highly unlikely that this sentence about uh, pigs and pearls and about holy things and dogs, it's highly unlikely that this just comes out of left field. What's much more likely is that it is the connected to what comes before it, which makes natural sense. It makes sense. The Bible wasn't written in a vacuum. We shouldn't read it that way. Now, I'm not saying that, that the scriptures, that there are not scriptures that don't stand alone or stand by themselves. The Proverbs is full of them. But even in the Proverbs, you'll see an overarching theme. Amen. Unfortunately, a lot of people do read the Bible in a vacuum. They do read the, the passages by themselves, and they understand them by themselves. And this is one of those verses that they like to pluck out of its context and place it up on this, this pedestal by itself. And uh, when you do that, you can exact all kinds of false meaning from a passage because you're not seeing it in its, in its whole narrative, in its whole context. You're not getting the whole counsel of God. You're, you're seeing this little bitty thing, and it's so easy to be taken out of context. Just watch the news. So there's a, there's a real danger, <clears throat> I think, you know, when we, when we do this. And maybe, maybe when you put something on a pedestal and, you, and you, you try to examine that one text, maybe you're not completely wrong about it, but you're overemphasizing one aspect or underemphasizing another. That tends to happen. Happens a lot uh, with with topical preaching, you know. And, and I and I'm not. I mean, topical preaching is is good, but that's that's where a preacher he has a topic that he wants to cover, and he and he goes and he then he finds texts in the Bible that that seem to support what he wants to say. When you preach in that way, when you when you write sermons that way, when you approach the scriptures in that way, you run the risk of overemphasizing one text, or even uh, taking it out of context to say something that it doesn't mean because doing so helps to make your point. In reality, the text that you're using may be a very small argument in a larger argument, a small point in a larger argument, and you're, you're doing abuse to the text. The topical sermons by themselves aren't, aren't bad. I mean, it's okay. It's a valid approach to preaching. Very often, that's exactly what's needed. Sometimes the church needs to hear, what does the Lord have to say about marriage? A healthy marriage. What does the Lord have to say about suffering? What does the Lord have to say about what we're going through in this season, in this time in our lives? Sometimes the church needs to hear that. That's a valid way to approach the text. <clears throat> However, there's just a real danger for error there. And so <clears throat> the preacher has to be especially careful in his selection and in his application of the biblical text when approaching it from a topical manner. What does the Bible say about this? I want to say this. Can I go find? And we start proof texting that way. And that's where we start taking passages like this one up off the page, put it over here by itself, and we make it mean something that it doesn't mean. That's why I, I prefer uh, expository preaching. That's what it's called. Where you, you, rather than going to the text and taking your meaning to the text and trying to find text that supports your meaning, you go to the text and take meaning from the text. I want the text to tell me. I want the Bible to tell me what it wants to say. 
I don't have a message. I don't come to the text with a message for you. I come to the Bible and say, what do you say? And then that's what I try to give you. I'll try to be faithful to that. Um, I'm not, again, not one way is preferred over the other, or not one way is right over the other. I just think there's less danger in, in the other way when we try to take the meaning from what does the Bible say rather than this is what I think and let me find ways to support that. So, um, again, this is one of those verses. Do not uh, cast pearls before swine. Don't put holy things in front of dogs. It's often quoted by itself. It's often read by itself. It's understood by itself. And uh, that can and does often lead to a lot of error. I'll tell you that the biggest error when I hear most people say, in fact, when most people say this, and I, when I have heard them say this, this phrase or this passage, they'll say, you know, you're, you're not supposed to cast your pearls before swine. When they say this, it's, it's because they're trying to persuade someone else to withhold generosity, or they're trying to justify their own reasons not to give someone money or some other kind of, of material help. Well, you're not supposed to put your pearls before swine. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about stewardship. The Bible has a lot to say about your money. But casting pearls before pigs doesn't have anything to do with your money. And beyond that, in Luke, Jesus very plainly said in the Sermon on the Plain, very plainly he said, give to the one who comes to you begging. That's Luke 6.30. Now, I gave a talk about this to a, a, a group, um, just an old devotional that I gave about this passage in Luke. I was reading it one day and it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. Jesus says, give to everyone who begs from you. And he, he didn't put qualifiers on it. He didn't say, if it fits your investment and saving strategy, then give to someone. He didn't say, if they show themselves worthy to receive your hard-earned dollar, then give to them. What he said was, give to everyone who begs from you. It doesn't have to be money that you give. Now, you remember, uh, what, did, what did Peter say when, the, when, when he was asked? He said, silver and gold have I none. I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. I have hope, and I, I, have, I, have, I have faith. I'm going to give you those things. That's Acts chapter 3. He took the time to talk with the man. He took the time to pray with him. And then in a great act of faith, he called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, and he told the man, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that's what the man did. He didn't have money to give, but he gave what he had. He gave hope and deliverance. Jesus said to give to the beggar. Now this, when I gave this, this talk, um, this devotional, it caused no small stir in that group because they were, they were challenged by it. They were feeling conviction over it. They resisted it. Um, they threw up you know, personal shields and personal barriers in their hearts because they didn't want to hear it. They had excuses like, oh, well, I have to be a good steward and, and I have to use wisdom uh, to justify their refusal to give to the ones who beg for them, to justify the times in their life when they've said, no, I'm not giving. And I specifically heard that phrase. Well, the Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. There is no way that Jesus means for us to take don't cast pearls before pigs to mean that we should be selectively judgmental about who we give of our substance to. 
that we should say, you're not worthy of my time, my talent, or my money because I will not cast pearls before pigs. You need to use wisdom, yes. You need to be a good steward, yes. We use wisdom in, in what we give, in how we give, in what form does our giving take, but that is about how to be a better disciple maker. That is about how and what is best for the beggar. It is not about protecting what's yours. Jesus said way back in chapter 6, if you remember that back that far, he told us, you guys, don't be anxious about these kinds of things. Do you remember that? Don't be anxious about this kind of stuff. Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of before you even ask Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, let's look at it then. What does He mean? Holy things before dogs and pearls before pigs. If we take the point... From the text, rather than using the text to make our point. Again, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6 reads like this. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. There are two examples of things that we're not supposed to do, followed by two reasons why we shouldn't do them. Each example has its own reason. And the progression of the argument goes like this. Dogs, pigs, pigs, dogs. This is a transposition. It's a common literary argumentative form used back in, in Jesus' day where they would make a proposition and then uh, a couple of propositions and then the second one would be dealt with first. So basically, it works like this. He's saying, he says, do not give to what is holy to dogs lest they turn and attack you. Dogs attack. And he says, don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot. Pigs trample. Or at least that's the illusion that Jesus is making with this statement. Now remember, he just told us in this, the first five verses of chapter 7 that we ought to be very careful how we judge others. And I think the ultimate lesson from that is that we ought to be willing and able to recognize and warn our brothers and sisters about sin for what it is because sin is an affront to God and it's a, an affront to holiness and righteousness. We ought to be able to correct others in their error, in their doctrine. But we only do it in an attitude of mercy and humility after we have first looked in inward to deal with our own sin. Amen. Get the log out of our own eye so that we can see clearly to help our brother with the speck in his eye. And now Jesus says you should discern whether or not people in front of you are dogs or pigs. Judge not. Discern whether or not they're dogs or pigs. So Jesus warns us against having judgmental attitudes and being blind to our own sin. And now he says, don't give what is holy to the dogs. Clearly, he did not mean to imply to his disciples that we should all suspend discernment when he said, judge not. We must discern. We have to practice right judgments. We have to make judgments that there are some good and precious things that should not be given to those who will receive them with contempt or hostility. You could say that Jesus is telling us, guys, don't be judgmental, but at the same time, don't throw out all discernment either. If we take this in context, if we take that statement that he made in, in the context that it was given about judging rightly, then we are to understand that dogs and pigs are those people who are hostile 
to the kingdom of God and the message of the gospel. They're the ones who will turn and attack or trample it underfoot. Right? Our love, Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Our love for our neighbor should not blind us to their hostility to the good news of Jesus. We cannot be blind to someone's hard rejection of the gospel and still call it love. Take something as precious as the gospel and you offer it up to certain people and they're just going to trash it. They're going to profane it. They're going to mock it and ridicule it. And in doing so, what have they done? They've only increased their own iniquity. They've only exacerbated their own transgression. They've only increased their own sin. Look at Holy Communion, for example. That's a sacrament that we do. We observe communion, the Lord's Supper. You know, there's a reason that we don't partake of the Lord's Supper at uh, sport, sporting events and at rock concerts and at comedy clubs. There's a reason that we reserve that for the corporate gathering of the body of Christ in the appropriate setting. Because there are many people at those other kinds of events who have no clue about what the Lord's Supper is, what communion means, and they don't care. And if we were to take communion in those settings, we were to have a, a big sporting event and go to the NFL Super Bowl, whatever game, and, and, and go down on the field and have communion. They, and, and we, you know, it's a serious matter to us, and we do it with a lot of uh, ceremony, and there's a certain degree of ritual, and we t- apply seriousness to it and weight and heaviness to it. They would look at that, and they would see it and not understand it, and they would do one of two things. They would either mock us and ridicule us for it, look at that stupid thing they're doing because they don't get it, or two, they would be, they would be intrigued by it, and they would do it themselves and turn it into something profane. Amen. Oh, look at the ritual. I bet I can do this. We can make it better, and then we'll add all kinds of things to it and make it into something profane. We reserve that sacred and holy thing for the body of Christ because presumably Christians will treat it as holy and not something that's to be ridiculed or mocked. Let me be clear. I'm not pulling this example out of thin air. Okay. If you read the Didache, which is the teaching of the apostles, it was the, basically written in A.D. 100, so 100 years after Jesus' uh, birth. And uh, it was the first church manual. You know, it's the teaching of the early church on how to do church. What they said about it was that uh, they said, Let no one eat or drink of your Eucharist, which is the Lord's Supper, except those baptized into the name of the Lord. For as regards this, the Lord has said, Give not that which is holy unto dogs. So the early church understood Jesus was talking about holy things, sacraments. Don't, and, and don't let them just out into the world for anybody. We don't want them to trample on them, to profane them. Keep them holy. That's why it it makes me uncomfortable when I see uh, Christian worship services being broadcast on TV and on the internet. Put the preaching out there. Put all of that out there that you can. But the intimate worship that we have. I'm not saying that it's wrong um, to do that. I'm not condemning any church that puts their worship services out there. But it's an intimate thing. 
And you see people up here and they'll be praying on the, in the worship service. You have hands that are raised in the worship service. You may have people speaking in tongues and the, and the world does not get it. Amen. And it opens that sacred thing up to ridicule. And so it just makes me uneasy. When we put those things out there, we stand them up to mockery and ridicule by unholy people who are hostile towards the kingdom of God. There are elements of Christian worship and the corporate gathering that are meant for the body of Christ. I had a friend in high school that came to church with me one time, and uh, she was not raised in a, in a very well-churched home. They, they weren't very uh, uh, faithful churchgoers. So she came to church with us, and she saw um, during the worship service people raising their hands during worship, and she got very confused. And she looked at me, and she's like, what, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? Are they swatting flies? That was her question. Well, no, they're not. Clearly, they're not up here doing this bit. I mean, come on. I mean, that was something, that was a silly question that she asked. But I was there to explain to her, and I had to explain to her, well, the, this is a, an act of worship. It, you know, the Bible says, lift up holy hands that, that hang down. I said, think about your, your uh, little kid that raises their hands up to their mom or dad to be picked up. We're just asking for a hug from the Lord. It's an act of worship. And so I was there to explain to her that I was there to add context and meaning there and so that I could prevent ridicule and, and mockery. Amen. But that's not the case when we broadcast these kind of things out into the world. Again, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not condemning churches that do that. I'm just saying I have concerns about it. And, and those concerns come from what Jesus says right here. Don't put what is holy to the dogs. Don't just give them holy things because they don't know how to treat them. The second proposition that Jesus makes is don't cast your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot. Again, this comes in the larger context of judging rightly, specifically the context of verse 5. What did Jesus say in verse 5? That then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So in the context of correcting our brother and our sister, godly correction, godly judgment, godly wisdom, that is a pearl. The gospel is a pearl. Think pearls of wisdom, right? And these pearls are not to be cast before those who have determined not to receive them. Jesus calls those folks pigs. They've just, they, they, don't, they don't perceive the value, and so they trample it underfoot. The pearls must not be cast in front of those people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul gives an explanation of what this, this person looks like, or the condition that causes this this kind of person. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Amen. So we, we offer pearls and they trample them because they don't see that the pearls have any value. They don't see there's any value in this wisdom. And so they just, they trample over it. We offer the gospel and because they are blind to the truth by the God of this age, once again, we only expose the gospel to ridicule. Now, I want to be clear, lest you walk away saying, Jeff said, don't preach the gospel. He never said that. Neither did Jesus. In Mark 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. This means that everyone everywhere is to be, pre is to be preached the gospel. And we are to preach the gospel to everyone everywhere. But there is a discernment that has to be made in where we lay it. Uh, we see that kind of played out in Acts chapter 19, verse 9. It gives us an example of what this looks like. 
to make the decision to not cast pearls before pigs. In Acts 19.9, Luke is writing, he says, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So the Jews had hardened their heart. And they began not only to be stubborn about what, what Paul was teaching, not only to be stubborn about it, but to, to speak wickedly of it, to speak evil of it. It says to speak evil of the way. That's being a Christian. That was the gospel. That's what it came to be called in the early church. So they were speaking evil of the way to the congregation. So they're getting up in front of the whole people and ridiculing the things about Christ, ridiculing the gospel. This cannot be. And so what did the apostle do? They, they left. They met with this stubbornness that was unyielding and said, we, we can't cast these pearls before pigs. And so they left. That took a lot of discernment, I'm sure, and a lot of prayer before they did that. Amen. Jesus did not say any of this. Just let's be clear. He did not say any of this to discourage us from sharing the gospel. And certainly nothing here has anything to do with money. You know, in, in this very sermon previously, back in chapter 5, Jesus told us to let our light shine before the world so they would see our good works and glorify God. He is not discouraging letting people know the good news. Amen. The point about pearls and pigs and dogs and holy things is to call us to a discernment when sharing this, this precious secret, this, this sacred thing, to encourage us to look for hearts that are prepared and ready to receive. Do you remember the parable of the pearl of great price? It's the only other time in the Gospels that this same word is used, pearl, that Jesus uses it. In Matthew chapter 13, 45, Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who... On finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. So in this parable, Jesus, he assigns a different meaning to pearls. The kingdom of heaven is the merchant. So the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hunter who is hunting for pearls. And the pearls, presumably, is people, the body of Christ. In, in our uh, text this morning, the pearl is gospel wisdom. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this parable, it's people. If you are part of the kingdom of God, you are searching for hearts that are ready to receive. When we find such open hearts, we can trust that God has done work in them already. He's begun to prepare the heart to receive. Did you not say the fields are white for harvest? Pray then for the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the field. Harvest time comes when the crop is ready, church. You don't just go out and, and harvest a crop before it's ready. If you do, you've got a whole lot of labor and no yield, no harvest. Harvest time has to be discerned in the same way that you don't cast pearls before pigs. You don't lay what's holy before dogs. Jesus is calling us to exercise discernment. 
harvest time discernment. Let us go from here as merchants in search of pearls. The ready heart, the open heart, and even the hardest heart will at some time present you with an opportunity. So in all this, he says, be ready for that. Don't give what is holy to dogs. Don't let them make judgments over you. Don't, and, oh boy, haven't we done that in this world? We've just handed over things that should be the purview of the church to the government, to the state. We've allowed schools to teach our children what their identity is and who they are and what marriage looks like and all that sort of thing. When that should be the purview of the family and the church. We've given what is holy to dogs. And what have they done with it? They've treated us with violence over it. Let us go from here as merchants in search of fine pearls and as farmers who are looking for the harvest. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word once again. I thank you for these people, Lord. God, I thank you for this season, for this time to recognize that you sent us a Savior. Lord, I pray that you help us as we go out into the world to be uh, laborers in the field, looking for a harvest, Lord, looking for pearls that are ready. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.